Welcome to the What's the Point podcast with Andy Evans. Andy Evans is a surveyor. Maps are his thing, and making maps is where he ended up in his career to date. This podcast is going to explore the wonderful world of survey and mapping, and hopefully it's going to get more followers than its self-indulgent blog. Any help and contributions are welcome. So, let's get started with today's episode. So, um... Welcome back to the What's the Point podcast. My name is Andy Evans. Uh, I'm here today with with a chap called Andy Middleton, um, and um, uh, I'm, this is episode uh, episode nine. Um, and so I'm just going to say a few words about Andy, and then let him introduce himself, and we'll get on with the podcast. So I met Andy in 1990 during an Easter holiday at a place called Turabellin, which is in St David's in Pembrokeshire. Um, Andy's uh, he doesn't know I'm going to say this, but he's probably one of the more influence, influential people in my youth development. Um, I would have been uh, 15 or so when we met. Um, and um, but so, Andy, you may not know that, but thank you for, for everything you've done. Um, somehow, um, Andy in, at Easter agreed that I could do my work experience with Turavellin in that, that summer in July. Um, and that was that was a phenomenal experience. It was out there, learned things like... Um, Cleaning the inside of windows with newspaper is a good thing to stop them misting up, uh, which is very important when your your vans are full of soggy wet kit. Um, experience the bitches, um, which doesn't sound as bad as it is, um, and um, that was a bit of sea kayaking and playboating. And at that time, Andy had been a, a real pioneer of um, of uh, a number of things, including rodeo kayaking, which uh, we can possibly go into at some point. We may not need to. Um, co-steering and so the key things that I take from from Andy Middleton and what Andy Middleton is, is uh, from my point of view is co-steering pioneer uh, the guardian of the bitches sustainability and I truly believe that it must have been a chat between a conversation between Andy and a, a fellow called David Hyatt that created the Howie's work hard canoe home t-shirt that may or may not be true but in my head I, I can imagine a conversation between those two guys um, talking about it. So, so Andy, um, over to you. Have I have I covered some? Well, there's some background for you anyway. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Andy. Great to be great here to be with you. And not wanting to start the disappointment, but it wasn't me that created the T-shirt with David. But it absolutely captures the essence of kind of what we stand for, I guess. Which is certainly, you know, work well, work hard and play home, even if it's not canoe home. But I think there's a there's a bigger piece in that about you know, making sure we we absolutely graft hard, particularly at the moment around in response to a kind of nature and climate crisis and make sure we have time for play because if we don't stay fit and healthy, we're not going to do our best work. And there's also a lovely blur between those. So my my favourite work meetings are whilst I'm playing. So walking, cycling, kayaking. Years, years ago, we had a swimming meeting whilst discussing active travel in the ocean. And it's brilliant. Remembered forever by everyone who took part. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's the key, isn't it? Um, it's that um, I've done I've done a few things with um, uh, a couple of guys that I work with in the industry where we've gone and done a, a peculiar meeting. Um, it shouldn't be a peculiar meeting, but it is, and you you know they're always much more creative, much more inventive, um, just just different. I think, and which is and it creates those memories, as you say, brilliant. So, um, in terms of you know. Today, how did we get here? What was driving you to say, okay, Andy's Andy's got in touch. 
sounds like fun. What what were you thinking when you said, okay, I'm going to do it? Well, I'm I'm always interested in, I suppose, you know, one of the things that I'm really driven by is trying to share share ideas on the things that matter with the widest audience that I can reach. And, and, and you never know where those seeds of ideas will take place. You know, I'm a geographer um, and, you know, maps, you know, I've drawn maps, maps were my thing. I've worked, I worked in the desert in Australia where we were navigating off aerial photographs, kind of really, really well aware of the difference between having a good infrastructure map <laughs> of what's where versus like working on photographs, which are not quite as handy. Yeah. In terms of keeping, in terms of keeping you safe, and so that maps have always been a big part of what I've done. And um, years ago, we did a lot of work with the survey, and they have this lovely phrase about you know everything happens somewhere. We're interested in the somewhere, yeah. and and for me, one of the big problems is that most people don't know what's happening or where it's happening. And I think you know, we have this you know, sure that there are lots more people aware and concerned about climate change but they don't know where the solutions lie, where they could be deployed, where the difference gets made. So yeah. for me, there's a really big gap between locating the scale of challenge and opportunity ahead of us and geolocating that information in the communities around us in a meaningful way so that people can take action. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay. Um, and, and I think that's, so that's chiming really nicely with, with where we're going with this. And, and I think, we, you know, your quote there from the Ordnance Survey um is is critical to that um i don't know have you have you seen any of the work of um of what the geospatial commission are trying to do at all have you, have you a little bit yeah yeah uh, and i think that has i hope that has potential um there's uh, and i think it should have potential but i need i think it needs a lot more there seems to be a lot of decisions being made and i wonder if that how we get more public consultation into into their work because i feel that there's a They've got some ideas, but maybe it's that all that effort of where I've seen some of the other stuff that you talk about online and on social media um, is about engaging people in place. Um, and and I think that's the future of, of society. It needs to think like that. But I wonder whether that's occasionally getting missed by by these sort of bigger pushes for things like the geospatial commission where it's like okay central government we need to do this we need to do something geospatial this is how we're going to do it and then um but then it, it rolls out and it, it has impact elsewhere that wasn't intended or wasn't thought about it's, and it's a, a, good, a good example i think for me of this space is that you know as as all of your listeners will be aware you know health is in england and wales in you know, separate health systems but health is in a crisis state at the moment yes um, and it feels like we, or as well as climate and nature crises, but it feels like we're standing at. I'm standing at the top of a big waterfall with boulders at the bottom, mm -hmm. with water, with water at my around about my calves rising. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know that at some stage I'm going to get washed off, yeah. and we need to get the water level to drop rather than rise. Yeah. And in health, the two main, the two main pieces are around for me are around. You know, how do you change the food system? How do you redesign the food system so it's designed for human health mm -hmm. and maximize the profit? And how do you relocate movement so that again is optimized for human health? So getting around will be designed to optimize human well-being, not oil, oil companies' profits. Yeah. And as you know, the, the numbers of the amount the number of 
trips in urban areas that could be walked or cycles and all of this information. But the problem seems to be is that when I talk to people in any sector and say, well, can you draw me a map of the hotspots hmm. where interventions would make the biggest difference in terms of prioritizing who gets what support when, despite all of the data being there in different spreadsheets, so to speak, and different caches, nobody yet can show me the map or show counselors or decision makers or planners the map to go based on this information that we've got. We know that these are the places where there's a 95% likelihood that if you could get this group of one and a half thousand people here moving this much more, this much more often at this speed, yeah. over 10 years, you get this level of health outcome shift. And, and it's, it's not a complicated idea, okay. but it feels that nobody has asked the question yet to get the map of possibilities that give us the allow us to navigate our way forwards. Yeah. And there's a really interesting piece within the Wellbeing Future Generations Act in Wales, which some of your again, some of your listeners will know is a a pretty radical and the only world, the only piece of legislation in the world that ties government action to delivering on the SDGs. Mm -hmm. And and flawed though they may be, it's still a pretty good piece of legislation. In the in the core of the bill is a piece around maximizing contribution to this set of seven wellbeing goals. And part of the problem is for a lot of, lot of understandable reasons, nobody's ever looked what maximum looks like. So yeah. maximum gets replaced by incremental change, which looks good on corporate reports, but never gets us to the place that we want to go to. Yeah. When, to use your kayaking example from earlier on, um, and for those who don't not aware of this in whitewater kayaking there are six grades of difficulty you know grade one is this kind of gentle meander down a, in a slowly moving river and grade six is a tumultuous rapid in which if you exit your kayak there's a good chance you'll die and in terms of climate change and our nature emergencies my sense is that we're in currently in a big volume class four rapid about to head into a class five mm -hmm. which you can which you can negotiate but you need a very different set of skills the problem is at the moment most of the population are still in a boating lake with their blazers on nowhere near the river and they're confusing having a splashing match with what's coming and our challenge as an industry and as a society is to get say one in ten people to a point where they can pilot the rafts to get people safely down the river yeah, but they need to start practicing now, not when the dam breaks. That's... And we, so it's the building capacity around the rapids that we know are coming is something that, as kayakers or rafters, you know how to do. But too often, chief execs and you know C-suite are not thinking about the risks in relation to what appropriate action would look like. So for me, the mapping that we need to do needs to make possibility really clear so that we can head for the possibilities of the safe spots of the eddies in effect down the river where you can find time to build things rather than just get washed through in some horrible um, kind of avalanche of disaster. Yes, which will be very exhilarating on the way, but there's only one way it's going to end. And I think that's 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 the piece, isn't it? That's that's a wonderful analogy. Thank you. Um, it, a couple of things I want to pick up on there. One is, um, if anyone wants to talk kayaking to me ever, Please do. I can go on for hours and hours and hours. So thank you. Um, but then just sort of 
coming back on the active travel piece you were talking about and using mapping um i'm very passionate about what's going on just in chester um so i live up in chester at the moment and um there there's some push towards active travel uh and i spent a bit of time working with that there were some bus lanes went in there was all sorts of hoo-ha and, and backlash and noise about why they were a disaster and all this sort of thing but everything was anecdotal all the evidence was anecdotal there had been um traffic analysis done by one of the one of the key consultants uh that the council uses the data was there but it wasn't getting um uh turned into communication it was just some numbers and people were making decisions off these numbers inside the council but not explaining that to the people that are getting impacted by it um, so what I did do as part of that, thinking about what you were saying there, was um, there's a, a free bit of software called QGIS, um, which is a really powerful GIS tool. Um, we had the OS background mapping. We had the travel data um, that, of, of, that they'd taken for their for their traffic analysis. And what was it was possible to do, as you're well aware, you can do this with GIS, was to... Um, work out what the movements were but give them a location as well so show on a map that a lot of the travel across chester in the morning rush hour is to the hospital um the industrial estate where the, and the business park um but it also has given us that origin and destination data that was really really powerful to see you know people are starting over in i don't know um uh, it's meaningless um if you haven't been to chester but there was like population in the east traveling all the way across Chester to the, the 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 honeypot of business and work in the West. And that's what's going on. Um, and but the and the councillors knew it, the engineers making the traffic decisions knew it, but they couldn't describe it easily to the population. And it, and it comes down to maps. You know, that's where maps are so powerful in that you can say, look, this is what it looks like in your surroundings. Um, so it's interesting that you so you picked up on that and say you know we need to get that that communication done better with and some of the guys i've talked to on other uh, other episodes have talked about being able to visualize stuff with maps and it's sort of the communication piece that you get from mapping is is really really impressive in, uh, impactful is what it really. and and i guess part of what we part of the work that we're doing is is literally bringing stakeholders who've never spoken to each other together to stand and look at a landscape yeah and see it through each other's eyes and in some ways the map the maps the gis tell us you know what's happening in the geology and on, on the ground what the flows of resources and energy are so to speak but it's the stories as you say that that connect it are, are the bits where understanding comes from yeah. and often people have been you know seeing their seeing their landscapes through blinkers which means that the farmers have never ever spoken to health and food yeah. companies don't talk to health, and you know, water companies don't talk to food, and and and. So you have all of these um, partial solutions that actually put together, I think, are the only way we we find a way through some of these systemic challenges. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I totally, totally agree with that. That's brilliant. Thank you, Andy. Um, so th that's been really enlightening already. The the, the point of the podcast, um, uh, for those that are regular listeners will know, is um, sort of making more noise about what mapping brings to society um and you know that's 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 what's driving this um but as part of this i have these five questions that i like to ask everybody to see where we go we've already covered a lot um and it's been really really valuable so thank you 
Um, but let, let's get on to the questions, Andy. So question one, when was the last time you used a map? I last used a map about a week ago to help um, someone who'd taken a wrong turning and ended up down our track with a caravan trying to get down a dirt track that was impossible, show them how to get to where they needed to go by a different route. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was, um, a one, that was a one to 25,000 ordnance survey map um, yeah. that I showed them how to get from A to B. Excellent. Uh, and was there, I can imagine there must have been some massive turning requirements <laughs> yeah, they had they had some tricky turning to do and the error had happened because they were following an inaccurate you know car map system yeah that took trying to take another wrong track and actually okay. really they've been they've been looking at the os map old school analog beforehand they wouldn't have ended up where they were yeah so that that's um that's the interesting one so is is that a regular occurrence it is it is down here yeah, where yeah. we are, we get yeah, maybe twenty or thirty cars a day drive down this drive down this single single track that we're on. Find that they're not going to the beach. Turn around and go back again. Okay, which is insane. Yeah, it's due to, it's due to some you know, inaccurate inaccurate GIS on the on the you know on the makers of on the parts of Garmin or whatever that whatever the cars are running. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's a that's an interesting one. We had to correct some stuff. There was a um, a bridal way that's marked as a road on the edge of Chester that we've we've flagged that with Google Maps because people were ending up down there. Um, it's impassable unless you're on a bike or walking. Um, but, you know, there's a number of people that try and drive down it. Um, same sort of story. Um, don't know what's happened. We did flag it with with Google to say that this isn't, <laughs> that you need to change this. It's not, it's not passable. But um, whether that's been made it or not, who knows? Um, okay. Uh, so that's paper mapping. Excellent. Uh, when was the last time, question number two, when was the last time you needed a map? Um, not, including, not including the guy that's uh, needed. No, no, no. So, yeah, so, two, so two parts to that answer, I suppose, and one of which is needed a map when I was mountain biking up in mid Wales mm -hmm. in unfamiliar territory. So I just need, practically needed a map to be able to find my way around the landscape that we were, we were in. And I could use my, use my phone at times I'm actually, you know, I'm comfortable using a map. So having a having a decent quality map with me made that navigation on bike, you know, both both you know enjoyable and possible. So I needed it then. And and the other area that that I need maps which don't exist comes back to this piece about mapping the pathways of possibility that organisations could take if their decisions were informed by the best of what's already working elsewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Because actually, the minute you can't see or find those places or calibrate what they mean in relation to other things. And to give you one tiny example of that, um, there's a supermarket that some friends of ours run in Brighton called Hisby that puts 11 and a half times the benefit back into the local community that, that big box stores do. Mm -hmm. so 55 pence stays in the community rather than five. If you could do that for half the supermarkets in Wales, it would release the same impact as an 8% increase in public expenditure for free. Yeah. It could, could probably eliminate poverty. And the map that I want to see is of where the populate where other populations of people would benefit most through the job creation and the micro businesses and the food and 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 where to prioritize where investment would happen first and how much would be needed where 
to put together a business case to transform that food system. Yeah, that's a, that's a strong argument. That so, so I guess that's a when you're talking about map um, there, it's there is a topo map as such in that description, but it's also there, there's a much bigger piece which is effectively the mind map that you need to describe what's going on, um, both in geographical terms, but also in process and, and, and that kind of thing as well. It'd be a map of skills. It'd be a map of skills. It'd be a map of carbon impact. It'd be a map of land. You know, land availability of demand or you know, multi-layered so that anyone could interrogate it whilst also seeing that impossible to misunderstand conversation or the, the mis impossible to misunderstand story that kind of connects that big picture at the top. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um that I mean that's something to go off and explore. And I think there's a there's a whole other podcast there as well, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um but uh, I, I'm gonna go back and just sort of stop that there, which is awful. Um, so question number three, um, when was the last time you made a map? I probably made a map for the last time, I mean, within the last few weeks in terms of like drawing, you know, sketching directions, um, sketching directions for friends to get from A to B type stuff. And my most um, my most memorable making of a map, though, which is not the last time, but seeing the one that sticks most was, um, as we were saying in the pre-chat, you know, work, working in my 20s in the Great Sandy Desert in Australia as a geological assistant in the gold mine, <laughs> surveying the land for um, potential new a new gold mine, and I was I was the, I was I was the first white person ever to walk into the, this enormous landscapes, and so my job was to was to interpret the landscape and turn the, turn what I found into the first maps that had ever been drawn of that land. Mm -hmm. incredible thing to be doing when I was 20 so I was drawing geological maps in my 20s of land that had never been interpreted before and it was an incredible impressive discovery and um, yeah discovery and learning along, on a super steep learning curve but that, yeah. that was an amazing thing to be able to do Fabulous, yeah, that's, quite a, that's quite a journey that one that's, um, there's an overlap there with someone else I'm trying to get onto the podcast but he's, uh, he's proven tricky to get hold of at the minute um, you may know him actually, a chap called Nick Russell I don't know if you've met him yeah 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 so he's uh he, he spent some time over in australia as well um so um question number four then what do you do when you haven't got a map um i'm pretty good i suppose at i'm pretty good at I mean, depending on where i am i guess um so i'll give you a, good, really, a really good example of this so years ago i was kayaking back from the bitches Mm -hmm. which is, this, as you're saying in the introduction, is this whitewater rapid off the coast of Pembrokeshire with huge volume kind of class four rapids. And the mist came down when we were paddling um, and I didn't have a compass with me. And we ended up paddling back from this island half a mile from, from the shore, as you know. But in the process of paddling back from the island across this tidal rapid, we missed whales. Okay. So we missed we missed Britain as we paddled back and ended up being carried off out into the Irish Sea by the current out of sight of land. Sorry, I missed that. So you were going to the you were going to the Ramsey. And we were on our way back, we were coming back from this from this island half a mile offshore. Yeah. And the, and the strength of the current, the combination of current that we knew was there, but the mist, which was unexpected, yeah. meant that we missed the UK when we were paddling back. 
and we were carried off by the current out into the Irish Sea. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty so funny. I, had, I had no map and no compass. Yeah. And and, a, and after the first um after the first kind of few moments of, of acknowledging, yeah, this we are definitely out of sight of land and have no idea which direction it is because sound travels everywhere in the mist. Yeah. We went through kind of clear stages of kind of going, you know, hey, what the feck? What on earth are we tapping to us here? And how stupid could we be? And and then realizing that it was May, it was relatively warm. We weren't going to die of hypothermia. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's fine. But, you know, and we were confident that whatever happened, we'd be, you know, we'd get through the night, kind of, if need be, just rafted up in the two of us, rafted up in the Irish Sea somewhere. And we were, so we worked, so safety was, we went through that kind of thing. Is our safety going to be okay? And then from then, just we kept paddling and eventually the mist lifted enough for us to spot land and we made it back. Um, but I think, so I think if I'm, if I'm without, without a map and need it, I think the first thing to do is always just to stop and notice and notice where you are in relation to trying where you get to, you know, check that you're safe, working out what's the what's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. And then, you know, depending where you are, just keep, you know, gently explore or ask questions. <laughs> you've, just ex- you've just explained a very adventurous uh, analogue version of something called SLAM, which um, the surveyors that are listening to the to the podcast will know simultaneous location and mapping so it's a it's a method for navigation for autonomous robots um and uh, you've effectively just described that in a very <laughs> you know, in, a, in a much more risky environment <laughs> brilliant yeah. brilliant so um uh we, we're good for time um question five then i mean that that's a just the there's a, still many questions there for that response to to the what do you do when you haven't got a map in terms of in terms of paddling in that environment that Ramsey Island on the beach is, it's a, it's a very special place. Um, I'm just trying to, still trying to get my head around what happened there, but uh, that's brilliant. Question five. Um, are you wandering, Andy, or are you lost? I'm wandering. And um, I'm wandering with both an A and an O, mm-hmm. mostly at the same time. Yeah. And, um the work that I do, you know, the business we run is in effect like a research project where we are bringing different permutations of people and organizations together to work out how on earth we get down that rapid I mentioned earlier in one piece. And that means visiting and connecting, you know, visiting different places and people and connecting possibilities in different ways. So for instance, the relationships between health and food and movement and stories and risk and funding and 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 in different ways and i think staying staying still in that metaphorical landscape is the worst thing that that we can be doing and i think the wandering is about going to different places and finding those stories and the wandering with an o pieces are having the curiosity what we would call a fearless curiosity to ask the questions about what to do if you took all of the evidence in front of you as face value, mm-hmm. you knew that you weren't allowed to or couldn't fail. And that question about mixing reality with 100% confident delivery is one that rarely gets asked by people in any profession because we are so good at rewarding certainty rather than uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Don't tend to ask the questions when if the map plot takes us down 
the slope of the valley of uncertainty before we get to the possibility on the other side most people recoil and scramble for the top again yeah and, and only when we get comfortable with exploring in effect and mapping uncertainty which means revising our governance and our leadership qualities and our data and risk are we prepared to are we prepared to ask the questions of for instance what would a food production distribution you know food production processing and distribution system look like if we if we actually valued the health of people in nature and and what we do to our land what we put on it what ends up in our rivers what you put in our stomachs that ends up in our brains all of that would be part of a map that allowed us to navigate a different pathway to the future whereas at the moment we're still running on the kind of the metaphorical you know the, the on the railway tracks based on the line the width of the chariots stuff that st we have we're stuck in that same narrow thinking that's been mm -hmm. forming and doing for hundreds of years that's 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 beautiful that's a really good answer um that um the the what i like about that is the picking up on the uncertainty piece because as i'm sure you're well aware from a survey point of view and from a mapping point of view everything that gets measured has a level of uncertainty in, in there so so my my profession are very happy with dealing with uncertainty, do it every day. But um, forget, I think, exactly what you said there is that, you know, as soon as you set off down that slope of uncertainty, the first, the, the immediate response for a lot of people is, actually, I'm not happy about this, I need to get back to where it's comfortable. And I'll stick with that decision because that's what we used to do and it's always been done like this. And that's, that. I think, yeah, you're right. That, that's the biggest problem is we just carry on doing what we've always done. Right, well, that's not going to, that's not going to get us anywhere, is it? We need to, yeah, we need to make that Absolutely, I think, and only, so only only if together we can step into that uncertainty and kind of go and recognise it's not just us who don't know the answer. Can you start to imagine the way forward? And, and, and ultimately, tens of thousands of consumer products will stop existing once we answer the questions that we discover in that place, because there are things that should there are, that we make the products that are made today for our houses and homes and for us were never designed with the intention of being fit for a thriving future. Brilliant. So yeah, that answer to um to, to question five there, are you wondering are you lost? That that's a really good answer. Thank you. Um very much appreciated. A, a lot to unpick. Um and I, I know one or two listeners enjoy what we're talking about here because they're like, oh there's so many more questions and so much that more stuff that they uh they want to ask you and sort of be in the same room as you. So um, my my bonus question that I throw in, number six, um, is is kind of to be expected. I didn't warn you, unfortunately, Andy. Uh, but what's the point, Andy? What's the point? What's the point? So the point for me is, is that despite um, despite standing on that waterfall with the feeling you know the cold water you know chilling my bones and rising up my calves tugging me towards the edge and the clear evidence that we are you know absolutely not heading towards 1.5 degree future and that if government and business deliver on their promises which they're not doing at the moment we end up with 2.6 and that in terms of your world the you know, the infrastructure and shape of our land will change 
in our children's lifetimes and is changing in ours. But, you know, the, 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 la the land that has been surveyed for infrastructure on which it's been built, as we know, will in places stop, will cease existing, will become submarine. And so despite the enormity of the challenges coming down our way and the fact that government and the oil industry and large parts of the media are committed to not taking the action that matters. What the point is that what gives me most hope is that um, the cool stuff hasn't even really started yet. So that the people haven't joined the dots. Most people can't see the dots of the connect food to biodiversity loss, to soil loss, to river health, and river health to insect health, and so on and so on. So if you can't spot the dots that make up the patterns, then you can't join the dots to make lines and from those lines make shapes. And it's those shapes in the world around us that, that connect food and health and prevention and soil and budgets and the fact that if you can't, if you don't fix the health system, your, your grandmother won't get a hip replacement. Those are the shapes vague to start off with, but then increasingly certain as we start to articulate the data. That's, that's what gives me most hope, is that people haven't spotted the points and the dots and therefore can't connect them and don't know what's possible. And so if, if, if at this stage, standing on the top of that waterfall, I knew that all the cool shit has been tried already and failed, I'd probably just fall off into the boulders, just jump off into the boulders. But what gives me hope is that most of the cool stuff hasn't even been found yet, let alone put to work. And although we are perilously close to that edge, um, it, the game isn't over yet. And I think by bringing together information about people, place and possibility in a way that makes it impossible for people to misunderstand the scale of opportunity, it's then much easier to work on the intergenerational and cross-generational conversations to help people step into those new spaces with confidence and as they wonder and wonder about new ways of doing things. That is spot on. Thank you. I'm um what I've found in in the course of these podcasts so far is there is no point trying to come back on any of the closing statements on that on that on that last question, question number six. Um, so I, I appreciate I am coming back on it, but I've nothing to add to that. Uh, beautiful answer. There is hope. Um, thank you. I'm going to um, I'm going to end the podcast on that note there um, and say, Andy, thank you ever so much for your time. Very much appreciated an enlightening conversation. Um, and um, I hope to have you back at some point which, with some of the subjects we can explore, explore further if you're interested. No, abs absolute pleasure and good luck with the rest of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Stop, stopping recording now.